What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 123 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. You can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then conclude by asking the question, are vegan challenges like Veganuary effective? Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about Veganuary, Paul, now that it's been over for a little bit and we're starting to get some survey results back. So we actually have some data to dig into and determine, is it successful? And we can talk about some other similar types of challenges and what do they mean for the vegan movements? And, you know, I'm surprised that we haven't talked about Veganuary more expansively in the past, but Mm -hmm. here we are to do it now. So I'm excited to to dig into that with you. You You know what else is successful, Andy? I think you've been putting some successful food in that mouth. So tell me all about it. I've been successfully shoving food in this mouth for the past <laughs> two, week and a half since I got to Los Angeles. So I think the big the big headliner for this food discussion, Paul, is I got to try the new Beyond Sausage, Ooh. which has been tantalizing my taste buds ever <laughs> since I saw it getting posted because there's a lot of good vegan sausage out there. I love me some tofurkey and some field roast. But the the Beyond Burger has been so incredible and so realistic and tasty that it was like, okay, Beyond Meat is really doing big things in this space right now. And I'm excited to see what they do with the sausage because I want a sausage that's nice and <laughs> greasy and has like a snap to the like a skin to it. You know, all that all the gross stuff that, <laughs> that people love about sausage. But does it bleed, Andy? Paul, <laughs> everything needs to bleed or else I won't eat it anymore. <laughs> Broccoli must bleed. <laughs> so so uh, it's, it's at a few places around the country, and I saw an announcement that it was going to be at these two specific locations of Veggie Grill in Los Angeles. And Veggie Grill is a chain that's it's pretty much all up and down the West Coast at this point. I'm not sure how much further they've expanded. I know they just opened one in Chicago, I believe, but... It is it's it's a chain that I have long resisted recommending to people because I'm like, that's oh, a chain, you can get it anywhere. Why wouldn't you go somewhere that you can only get at this one specific city? But I feel like I just have to give in because I truly just love Veggie Grill so much. <laughs> they they just do it really well. So I went, got this sausage. I believe there's several flavors of it. Veggie Grill is only offering the bratwurst, and it comes on my favorite, a pretzilla pretzel bun Ooh. with some some grilled onions, and they also give you this sort of cheesy sauce to go on it and some, some red cabbage slaw. And I got to say, Paul, I thought it was pretty dang tasty. Mm. It wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. It, did, it wasn't greasy. It wasn't didn't have that real snap to it so not successful on that front but definitely i think a a better texture than something like tofurkey or field roast that is just you're like okay i'm biting into a log of seitan right now like it's just very homogenous and so i thought that this one 
would be more likely to please a meat eater. Mm-hmm. But the fla- flavor wise, I don't know. I don't, maybe just because I have like Italian sausage in my head and I'm looking for those seasonings. But flavor wise, something was just a, a smidge off. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just because I haven't had bratwurst in a very, very long time. It was not something I ate regularly as when I was a meat eater. So I'm excited to make it to Expo West this coming weekend. And I believe they'll be sampling all the flavors. And so I get to have a little more thorough taste test there. But yeah, overall, I would say this is a successful product, and and I hope it expands nationwide. Andy, uh, maybe I've just been out of the sausage game for too long. But you've mentioned you've mentioned sausage snap twice now. I have no idea what that means. No, no, like there's like a casing to like sausage that that you don't know what I'm talking about. It snaps. You don't hang it out. You're not hanging out with snappy sausages, Paul. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to do some further research after after yeah, the, the episode. I don't know. It's the only way I could possibly describe it. Is this, this snap. I will say I've had the the tofurkey Italian sausage the last two days. Cut it up, threw it in my gro- George Foreman grill. Got very crispy. Mm. But did the, it snap? It, it did not snap. I can I can tell you that much. But I, I do love it. I love that tofurkey. All right. Well, the other food that I'm going to mention is. I got this deep dish pizza from a place. It's either called Massa or Mesa. I believe by the the rules of pronouncing my last name, it would be pronounced Mesa, but <laughs> I've never heard anyone say it in real life. I am not a deep dish guy, Paul. You're not a, a man made entirely of deep dish. <laughs> that is correct. But everyone raves about this pizza, so I decided I had to go and get it. And... They use, it's not an all-vegan place, but they use teas, mozzarella for their cheese, which is not something you see pretty often, but I am generally a fan of the teas brand. And I have to say, this is one of, it's definitely the best deep dish pizza I've ever had, and it was definitely just a through-and-through delicious pizza. I added fresh garlic, some basil, some black olives, and they have a pepperoni. Didn't think the pepperoni was all that great. It was kind of mushy. Like, it, it it doesn't sit on top, so it doesn't get crispy. Like deep dish, I've always thought of it as like bread lasagna, you know, like it's just this (laughs) bread and sauce and I love bread and sauce, but it's not a pizza to me. But I have to say this, this pizza was truly outstanding. It was phenomenal. The way they used the teas was incredible. This pizza weighed so much. Uh, I made an Instagram story saying that I thought that you would use it to curl to like build up those biceps. <laughs> like it hurt my arm to carry it for one block to the car, and I ate two slices, and I was like out cold, and I it lasted me for three days because all it takes is two slices, and you feel ridiculously full. But huge fan of that pizza from uh, Massa or Mesa in Los Angeles. So I think definitely people should check it out. If you are if you are like me and you weren't ever truly wooed by deep dish pizza, this one might do it for you. I still have never tried that sweet sweet DDP. It's been it's been eluding me. <laughs> Mister Stay Pizza Div himself never had some DDP. <laughs> never had one. All right. Well, Paul, what went in that beautiful mouth of yours? So I took a trip to Washington, D.C. this past weekend. What was the occasion? Just just because, Andy. Just because. Just treating yourself. Just treating myself. And I got Shook, which was a, a bearded vegan's favorite in D.C. from back from like a, almost a year ago, I feel like, at this point when Andy and myself were in D.C. I got the chickpea pita. <laughs> What's this little note that you added here, Andy? Shouldn't it just be called a chick pita? <laughs> but yeah, I we've already talked about chick before. Can't recommend it enough. You you should all go there. And then the other thing that I got, I've never been to Sticky Fingers, which I, I 
I feel like maybe I've gotten them at some veg fest at some point, but I've never been to the physical location before. And I did not even realize that they had food other than just baked goods. So I ended up getting a buffalo seitan salad, which was very delicious, and then a mac and cheese. And it was that sweet Nucci mac and cheese that I love mm. so very much. So recommend both those places. All right. Well, let's move into a bit of follow-up. And we're going to talk a little bit about an essay, an article that was written. It's not particularly new. It actually came out on February 23rd. And the reason we haven't talked about it until now is because we got an email about this like as we were starting to record like last week's episode or two episodes ago. So we didn't really get a chance to dig through it. But we did want to talk about it because I think... It's something that is worth talking about. And so this is an article over at spectator.org called the hashtag me tooing of Wayne Pacelli. And as I said, that was from February 23rd. And this is from Matthew Scully, who is the author of a book called Dominion, which is all about sort of the, the relationship between animals and religion and veganism. And also interesting to note a speechwriter for George W. Bush. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. And so you could probably guess from the title, but essentially what this essay is, is a defense of Wayne Pacelli. Um, if for some reason you missed the episode we did with Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack a few episodes ago, we talked all about the the effect that the Me Too and Time's Up uh, movement have had on the animal rights community with hashtag Time's Up AR and Wayne Pacelli, the former head of the Humane Society of the United States, was one of the central figures in that. There's a lot of allegations against him, and he stepped down from his position as the executive director or president of HSUS. And uh, Matthew Scully decided that he needed to write a defense of Wayne Pacelli. And this is a very long article. Essentially, this article is really weird because it, it tries to co-opt the language of intersectionality in a very... It, it's it's clear that, that Matthew Scully does not really have an understanding of intersectionality. And he kind of puts things like intersectionality in quotes and like the intersection of oppressions in quotes, things like that. And I guess, you know, to sort of really passive aggressively, like downplay those things or say that they're not real. And the article underplays the allegations a lot. It really talks a lot about how much good Wayne has done for the animals. And at one point says, like, this is someone who like lives and breathes for helping animals. And how could someone that does that possibly be an abusive person as if those two things can't coincide within the same human? And I guess the thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was that at one point he does actually, he acknowledges that yes, there are tons of women that are leading this movement and there's tons of women that are sort of doing the legwork and not getting a lot of credit. And I'm just going to read this little quote from the article. The difference between these female champions for animals and the isms patrol is that they keep the focus on animal protection with bigger things to worry about than one man's hey man to another man, though we can assume they're all familiar with male arrogance, presumption, or uninvited ardor. They don't lack a sense of their dignity as women. They just lack the officiousness to confuse micro quote unquote microaggressors with real users and predators and to let every personal affront or slight become some all consuming psychodrama. So, yeah, it's just it feels so icky to read it, Paul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you what do you make of this essay? So my I guess 
I mean, I uh, clearly I disagree with the whole thing, but just from like a, a just from a, I guess I don't know, logical or rational standpoint, I feel like his main his main argument is these alleg- these are just women coming forward and they don't have any evidence, so therefore shouldn't be credible. But then his only evidence for why Wayne is a good guy is him saying. I've had good experience with him and here's three other people that have had good experience with experiences with him. So he must be a good guy. So he's kind of in some ways using the exact same argument for defending his position than he is with, (laughs) than he is in order to take down everyone else's position that, that oppose him. And I don't know. He just, it's like the whole thing is written, like you said, Andy, it's very passive aggressive. It's, it's not written very professionally at all. Like he inserts these little passive aggressive jabs. Like there's one time when he's, he's mentioning some pro feminism group and he's like, oh, isn't it funny how these pro abortionists are saying this thing about, about compassionate people. And I'm like, oh my God, it's like bringing these things, bringing these, these, no despite what his views are bringing in these unrelated kind of passive aggressive jabs is just such a i feel like an unprofessional way to write up this thing and it makes it makes his whole argument less credible to because you're like this person can't like obviously can't separate out his emotions about certain issues that aren't even necessarily related so why should i believe anything that he's saying that was one of the in ter- again, in turn, this is just in terms of how the thing is written. Obviously, I just disagree with everything he says. Anyways, there was a few other things that I'm trying to think of now that that really that really irked me. Yeah, well, like in, in regards to the specific quote I read, it, this it's sort of to me is indicative of a larger attitude of a lot of people that say this stuff doesn't really matter. These quote unquote microaggressions don't really matter in the grand scheme of things don't you have more important things to to worry about don't you have to worry about helping the animals and i know this is something i said in our episode where we talked about this more extensively but i think people are missing the point when they think that these two things aren't connected and that that making a safer and more inclusive movement is not somehow very important piece of helping animals and we've talked about how many how many women and non-binary folks have been driven out of this movement by these abusive men and think about how much the animals lose out on how many great advocates that that can no longer participate because they're sort of being involved in a movement that's sort of welcoming their abusers and downplaying the effects that it's had on them. And so it's it's easy for someone who sits from a very privileged position to say, well, these extra these extra issues don't really matter because it's not something that affects them. They don't see how it could potentially affect their ability to do good work if they're constantly dealing with, you know, these abusers. So it just, the the whole piece sort of reeks of a lot of privilege and, and just sort of speaking from a place of saying something doesn't affect someone when it doesn't affect the author personally. Mm-hmm. And, and no, I agree. I agree with absolutely everything you said. And just to add to that, there are, I don't have any direct quotes from it, but there are parts where, the author makes it seem like Wayne is like the single most important 
person in the animal rights movement and it's like the no Messiah. one's done any- yeah <laughs> no one's done every- anything more no, like no one's no one's better and then there's this part too where he's like <laughs> he's like he's like Wayne Wayne could have done he was like a, a college graduate blah 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 could have done anything in the world that he wanted to do but he chose to like help out these animals and I just wanted to add I wanted to add on it and all he asked in return was a six figure salary <laughs> <laughs> yeah he just needed nearly half a million dollars every year <laughs> such a great guy yeah I mean and it also says like he could have been a senator or he could have aspired to more which I guess is assuming this guy could have been president but he decided <laughs> to lurk, work with these lowly animals and and we should praise him and this this idea and we touched on this many times before but this idea that there's the one that there's this neo in the matrix that's going to come in and like save everything and without this charismatic guy nothing would ever get done in this movement it's just it's such a false idea and i, I just this thing does that it's like okay wayne wayne Pacelli and paul shapiro and without these guys like nothing would ever get done as if what they did is so special that it can only be done by one person yeah. And and another point is I I think it's towards the beginning of the article when when he's like oh yeah, they did a like there was an independent review and a and a review from the board members and like like they said it was fine basically, but he doesn't mention how half the board members ended up leaving over this. So it's like if you would think that the board members are going to be some of the people who know what's up more than, you know, some guy that's like, oh, I, I had I had lunch with him one time and he was a really great guy. And so he couldn't have done all these things. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm glad you experienced low level party courtesy from someone. And that really <laughs> determines what they're like um, I, to to be exact. I should say it was seven out of 31 board members that that resigned after all of this happened. So it wasn't quite half. And we also know that at least one of the board members that didn't resign was that Erica Brunson, who said all these really horrible things yeah. and, and was really just very inflammatory. So, yeah, I don't think that, that that saying the board didn't find anything wrong is necessarily an indication that nothing wrong happened. Yeah. I imagine that this this author saw those words that 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 one board member said and was like, finally, someone's speaking some sense around here. <laughs> I guess the last thing I kind of want to point out is that this article sort of just paints the 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 women in this movement and non-binary folks that are dealing with this as these just people looking for any excuse to be angry at everyone and to take down every man and they just hate men and and that's just like not the case I, like uh, it's not like they're looking for these things these things pop up they happen and they're there all the time and I'm sure that they they often ignore a lot of things and it's you know picking battles that that happen and to say that oh you're just you're just like looking for all this stuff it reminds me of some of the quotes that we were reading from Alex Hershaft of Farm during uh, in Patrice Jones uh, Shape of the Movement essay the little story that was shared in one of the the previous articles where he also had the same thing where he's like this isn't a real problem these are just women their their life's mission is to bash men and they're just looking for any excuse to do that and it's just it's such a short-sighted way of looking at this thing it's such a dismissive way of handling this issue yes well put andy all right thanks again for bringing that to our attention uh we could not find exactly who sent that email but thank you very much for sending us that email 
major yes. props. Yes, I was going through. I've, Paul, I've been making an effort to go through and respond to everybody, but also I've been deleting things as they go. So I must have deleted it before. So uh, apologies to Anonymous, but thank you for sending that in. We really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the news. Our first piece of news is coming from theintercept.com. Really interesting. This is from March 2nd. Consumers are revolting against animal cruelty, so the poultry industry is lobbying for laws to force stores to sell their eggs. So the article starts off by just talking about how consumers are sort of awakening to the horror of the industrial egg industry and how a lot of consumers are starting to trend towards purchasing quote-unquote humane eggs. Obviously, we know there's no such thing, but you know, essentially cage-free and free-range, things of that nature. And then talks about how the uh, poultry industry, which includes eggs, is responding. In Iowa, the nation's biggest egg-producing state, lawmakers, at the behest of the poultry lobby, are making their most brazen attempt yet to fight the tides of change, simply making it a legal requirement for grocery stores to carry inhumanely produced eggs. Again... It's all inhumane, but a new (laughs) bill in the Iowa State Legislature overwhelmingly passed by the Iowa House of Representatives on Monday by a vote of 81 to 17 would force any Iowa grocery store that participates in the Women, Infants, and Children Federal Food Assistance Program, WIC, WIC, and sells what the bill refers to as, quote, specialty eggs to also stock conventional eggs. And specialty eggs are the the cage-free, free-range stuff. The bill's supporters frame the measure as a consumer choice issue, arguing that the most economically destitute Iowans deserve access to lower-priced eggs. And so the rest of the article, most of it is spent talking about the horrors of egg production, and it talks a lot about the history of Prop 2, which was uh, the cage-free initiative in California many, many years ago. And uh, I don't know, Paul, I just found this whole article really interesting because I think you and I have been struggling with this sort of government intervention that comes in and sort of disrupts the the supposedly free market, uh, most recently with the billion-dollar dairy bailout, and we've covered previous dairy bailouts as well, and... I don't know. It's it's such a deflating thing to see. Now, obviously, you and I would just prefer that people purchase no eggs whatsoever. But to see that if people are trying to make steps in that direction, that the government, like uh, say a grocery store was like, you know what? Most people are buying these these cage free eggs. And so we're just going to stop carrying conventional eggs. But then the government come in and say, no, 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 you have to carry these specific eggs. It just seems so backwards to me. Well, this reminds me it does yes, it does. It does seem backwards, I agree. But this <laughs> reminds me of a discussion that I know I don't think we've ever talked super in depth with it, but I know it's one that we've touched on before and that's if if the government stopped backing the meat industry or the egg industry or the dairy industry or whatever, it would most likely drive prices for these things up. If they if these industries weren't receiving as much government money, the the cost of say a hamburger would be driven up, and this would make it less accessible to people. And and I feel like is that is that like what we want to do? Is that the route that we want to go 
in order to get people to stop using them altogether because it certainly would probably affect the number of people that have that that can access that food if it's more expensive but is that why we want them to stop eating food just because they can't afford it you know what i mean like it and because that's what i'm kind of seeing some of that in this issue obviously i think that they're being they're they're i just think that they're lying when they say oh we want people to have the choice because it's it's lower priced i think that that's bullshit but it it does bring up this argue uh, it does bring up this similar issue for me well that's an interesting point paul i think that we would all love for people to go vegan or to at at the very least purchase you know plant-based foods because they're aligned with the vegan ethic but i also i don't know if i see a huge problem with people starting to make those choices because plant-based foods became cheaper so if there stopped being so many subsidies for meat, dairy, and eggs, and instead they went, they were transposed over into plant-based foods, and so the prices sort of flip-flopped, I think I would be all for that, because I think people would just sort of default make the choice to eat more plant-based foods, and maybe that would have the same effect as someone that says goes, goes plant-based you know, or vegan for health reasons, and then they become less resistant to the ethical arguments for it because they're no longer participating in those things even if it was only for you know i'll say selfish i know there's negative connotation to that but selfish reasons like oh it's cheaper or it's healthier for me so i don't know if i would be against that i I think that working to remove the subsidies from animal foods would would have a huge impact overall and I i think i'm for that even if it's not you know, everyone's been educated and they decide to go vegan because of it, you know, because for a lot of people, even when they become educated on veganism, it's still really hard for them to do because they can't afford the things. So I think that that removing those subsidies is going to be a necessary piece of the puzzle regardless. And so if it makes it easier for the people that want to go vegan to go vegan, great. And if then it, the people that don't really care about going vegan, but it just is easier for them to eat vegan food, also great. I guess I guess I've. I feel a little more okay with it if the subsidies that were being used for the non-vegan stuff are then used for the vegan stuff. So it's not just, oh, hey, this community of people where this was the thing that was most readily affordable for you, now it's no longer anymore, but nothing else has changed. I feel like that would seem off to me. Yes. Well, that's why I was careful to say as long as those subsidies then went to plant-based foods, because obviously we're not... No one, there's gonna be no benefit if, if like, you know, communities that have low access to healthy foods are just starved out and priced out of it. Like, obviously, that would be horrible. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess I should focus now my attention to the question that you actually asked me because this was not actually about that, but it just reminded me of it. (laughs) What was the question that you asked me? (laughs) I guess I was trying to bring up how we kind of struggle with this idea of individual lifestyle change activism like like i i that's something that i believe in that's something that i can wrap my head around is talking to people and educating them and helping them to go vegan i can i can do that i can do that on a daily basis i can do that on an individual basis and i can see that change happening versus working on things from like a government or corporation type level because 
that is something that I can't wrap my head around. That's not something that I feel like I'm able to just do when I'm at the grocery store with someone. But it seems like if we don't do at least both of those things, like I don't think we should ever abandon individual lifestyle change activism. But it feels like if we don't also do this other avenue that these industries are just going to keep getting bailouts as long as they have the money to pay off politicians. So you're saying we need people to do that kind of work to stop this sort of thing that's being represented in this news article. Yeah, because I don't know, it's just like the the egg industry for years has said that they make the conventional or like less less humane eggs inhumane <laughs> eggs because that's what the market demands and like we have to torture these chickens as horribly as possible to get the cheapest possible egg because that's what the consumers want and this is just capitalism this is just the free market playing out it's consumer choice dictating what is produced and now all of a sudden the free market is dictating that they don't want those things, and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Let me just flip the t- flip the table. Like I- I'm losing at Monopoly, so all of a sudden I'm gonna flip the table, and no one knows what's going on anymore. <laughs> like that's what they're doing right here. They're like, "Well, actually, the free market doesn't matter at all. Like we have a right to sell these eggs and to produce them and to make sure that they're in front of consumers, even when consumers are starting to reject them." Yeah. You know, and so to me, that's not individual. That's like, okay, the consumers are making the change. Now, I, obviously, the piece of the puzzle that's different here is, well, if we educate consumers to just not buy eggs at all, it won't matter which eggs are put in front of consumers. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously, I, I want to acknowledge that that is clearly up front. But I think that this type of thing is indicative, like the dairy bailout, where it's like, okay, we can we can really decimate an industry. But the government just steps in and keeps saving them regardless of what the consumers actually want. I guess I see that this sort of work, like in terms of the the laws and stuff like that, being done not as much by individuals, whereas like our form of advocacy can be done on an individual basis, but more so being done by organizations or groups of people that that know about this stuff. That's just what I think. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it just leaves leaves the little guy wondering, like, what can I do? Well, I think we you could. I, I think you could either do the thing that you can do individually, or you can, you know, join one of these, pick one of these groups to join that is working to do these these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess I would say that I think that regardless of how much corporate work is done, it's still important to continue to work to build a base of the public that will support that work and will contact their you know legal officials and all of those things because if it's just a few people working on laws that the rest of the population isn't going to support it'd be significantly harder for them to actually pass yeah yeah like i feel like as as much as we disagree with the majority of things that PETA does I feel like one of the things they are good at is having so many resources and and a good good enough law team that they can tackle these sorts of issues. Paul, they're too busy making people get naked. <laughs> because tackling law issues is not sexy enough. <laughs> but what if they get tackled while naked? Oh, now we're talking. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. I'll tee this one up for you, Paul, because you're you're the one that found this and showed it to me, and I was like just scratching my head at it. Uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of vegan celebrity related news, and 
I first just wanted to direct people towards our episodes 47 and 48, which are part one and two of Our Celebrities Good for Veganism, because all this stuff's been popping up that has me reflecting on those conversations that we had, and maybe we'll revisit it more extensively at some point. But in those episodes, we talked about should we rely on celebrities to promote veganism? Should we seize moments where a celebrity who is not vegan does a thing that could be construed as vegan? Should we take that moment and use it to promote veganism, even if they're not vegan, but because their name is attached to it, it's going to get the word vegan in front of so many people and just sort of hope that they don't then go and look up if said celebrity is actually vegan. Like, just hope they're like, oh, I heard this thing about uh, Kesha being vegan, and I guess I should go vegan now and not look any further into Kesha's veganism. And so I feel like we got a new story this past week that really exemplifies that. So so hit us with that sweet right. chocolate mint flavored story. <laughs> so this is from Veg News, article titled Donald Glover buys 113 boxes of vegan Girl Scout cookies. And I'm not really going to read from the article, but essentially Donald Glover, actor, comedian, musician. So essentially Donald Glover was on Stephen Colbert and Stephen Colbert brought up this viral video of a Girl Scout that I think created a song in order to sell Girl Scout cookies. And then Stephen Colbert had the, the Girl Scout come out and Donald Glover was basically like, I'm going to buy all of your cookies so that you can sell all the cookies. And, and they're like, which ones do you want? And he's like, I want the Thin Mints. And then they bring out baskets of Thin Mints and everyone gets Thin Mints in the crowd. And the reason that this is a news article is just because Thin Mints happen to be vegan. And so this is just, I, I think, one of the, the the less effective uses of celebrities to promote veganism because it's basically just a celebrity happens to eat a vegan food and, like, that's it. That's the news, which, you know... Th- celebrities are eating vegan food all the time (laughs) yeah i mean this is kind of like a story where literally no other outlet other than a vegan one will include the word vegan in it like it's just like oh my god a celebrity ate chico sticks and now we have to talk about so and so like eating all this vegan stuff and so it's like i get it here's a celebrity that everyone likes and he ate something that's vegan but It just seems like such a weird thing. It's not about him going vegan. It's not him talking about veganism. It's just that he happens to buy it. And it just feels like, was it a slow news day, Veg News? (laughs) (laughs) And, And, you know, in the article, it says things like, Colbert then presented a basket full of the vegan cookies. And it's like, no, no one that's that's not vegan is going to call Thin Mints vegan cookies. They're just going to call them Thin Mints. Yeah. And I feel like I should also point out, I'm pretty sure those Girl Scout cookies are not Food Empowerment Project approved. So probably some, some slave chocolate going on there, which is obviously very unfortunate. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's, I hate to be a downer on this story, but it's just kind of like, why is this being covered at all? So on on the flip side, though, Veg News reported on another story of a vegan celebrity that I think has a little bit more weight to it. So this one is Beyonce urges 112 million fans to go vegan for Coachella, just for Coachella. That's it. (laughs) Award winning singer Beyonce announced that she will follow a plant based diet in preparation for music festival Coachella. 
44 days until Coachella, vegan time, Beyonce posted to Instagram before asking her 112 million followers to click a link in her bio to join her. The link is to meal delivery service 22 Days Nutrition, which Beyonce co-owns with vegan entrepreneur Marco Borges? 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 Gorgeous Borges. Gorgeous Borges. And... And essentially what this is, is a, it's a 22-day plant-based challenge. And I was snooping around the website a little bit, which is mealplanner.22daynutrition.com, and looking through the frequently asked questions. And there was an actual post that said, what is vegan or what is a vegan or plant-based diet? And it says, a plant-based diet and a vegan diet are similar in that both diets avoid all animal products, but a plant-based diet a term we prefer to use is a diet that is based on nutritious whole food plant-based options like whole grains, vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds. A plant-based diet does not include processed foods like soy burgers, fake, quote, meats, chips, cookies, and so on. All my favorite so, foods. I know. So they're, they're, they're clearly promoting one type of a vegan or plant-based diet and – uh, clearly this is just from a health this is like from the health standpoint now i don't think we should discredit though how many people that this is going to reach uh at, at the article concludes with beyonce's vegan time instagram post has garnered more than 2.6 million likes in less than 24 hours with many followers pledging to join the singer in eschewing animal products in solidarity so even if like 10% of those people actually do it, that's still a decent amount of people, even if 1% of them do it. Well, but here's the thing. What do you mean by do it? Because this is just promoting a, a meal program. You know, and, Andy, and, just just do it. Just do it. <laughs> Beyonce, just do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's the. I guess that's the thing that kind of makes me feel a little weird about the whole thing wasn't it it wasn't just like everyone should go vegan it was like everyone should purchase this meal plan that i'm going to benefit off of yeah <laughs> now now i should say i think there's a lot of I, th I think there's probably a lot of good that can come from someone that's like i want to go vegan but i don't know how and i don't know what the food is like and is there just someone i could give some money to and they'll just do all the food for me for 22 days I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that would actually be a really helpful tool. But if someone has to then go and pay $627, which is the cheapest rate per meal someone could pay, which is about $9.50 a meal, and that's for getting breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 22 days of, quote, healthy, satisfying, and delicious meals. Um, you know, I mean, that's not like the most expensive, but obviously if people are making meals for themselves at home, they can make it for way cheaper than $9.50 a meal per person. So, so there, there is something that does feel like a little bit icky about it, I guess, if it's like, if it's altruistic, but it's also her essentially making a lot of money. And as far as we know, she is not actually vegan and it's, and, and her doing this is kind of saying vegan is a diet to get into shape for a specific period of time. It's the South beach diet. So you can get into your, your quote unquote bikini body. Like to me, that's kind of your, your Coachella bod, your Coachella bod. So that to me, that's kind of what it's saying. So, so I mean, I guess that's why I think that's the downside. Now I'm sure a lot of people will do the 22 day plan and maybe some will stick with it and that's cool. And of course, if, if, like you said, even 10% of these people, if, if you know, 260,000 people or whatever 
decide to do this meal plan. 260,000 people eating all vegan meals for 22 days. That's a lot of animals that are spared. So I don't mm-hmm. even want to discount that. But I do kind of wonder about the long-term effect of of sort of portraying it as like, this is just a drop 10 pounds thing for a music festival versus this is an ethical obligation that we have towards the animals on this planet. But on a more more optimistic note, like you were saying, or like you've said before, it's like, I think that this could open people up to the idea of it. Like food is a, is the biggest barrier that we face in getting people to go vegan. So once, if that barrier gets you know erased for them then maybe they'll be more likely to to stick around vegan now i will say like you brought up it's it's not the cheapest thing in the world so this could also promote you know the whole idea of veganism is this expensive endeavor and that might turn some people off from it some people might say like yeah i did this thing for 22 days and i felt great and it was wonderful and i liked that i didn't have to eat meat and hurt the animals and whatever but i can't afford to to pay that much money all the time so now i have to go back to what i was doing before if they don't realize that there's some in between you know of eating meat or doing this like meal prep thing yeah because like you like you read it doesn't include soy burgers and and chips and cookies and stuff like that so i think that that again sort of paints it as this very restrictive diet and so, yeah, it would be nice if it said, like, you can have cookies every now and then or you can eat mm-hmm. things that bring you pleasure. And, and that's yeah. OK. That can be a part of this thing. That can be a part of sustaining it in the long term. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I don't I don't love the whole 22 days thing, but I think for some people it will be an effective tool. Yeah. And, and like you were pointing out before, also, it definitely feels icky that she's benefiting financially from this as well. Like it's it's you see this all the time with fitness supplements and stuff like that where like you'll see this long article that's like hey did you know that you're probably deficient in in vitamin z 17 and and (laughs) like like this is all the benefits of blah 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 blah. and it's this long article and you're like wow maybe i am deficient in z 17 and at the end it's like and i just so happen to have the supplement for z 17 i get that sort of feeling from it where it's like hey we we have this goal, and I just happen to have the thing that can get you there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I I am I am wary of it, but it's happening. So I'll choose to embrace the the positive aspects of it, which is potentially tens of thousands of people not eating animals for twenty two days, and and hopefully many of them or some of them sticking with it. Yeah. You know, at the mm-hmm. very least, it shows them that they didn't die. You know, not having mm-hmm. animal products for twenty two <laughs> days. So yeah. That's positive. That's positive. Very positive. Not dying. I hope the food is actually good. Me too. I, I, yeah, I guess I have no, I have no reason to think why it would be and no reason to think why it wouldn't be, but I hope it's good too. Yeah. We're going to continue our conversation about challenges and are they effective and how can we use them and sort of viral campaigns in our main discussion. But before we do that, we have some, some donors to thank. So we launched our our Patreon not too long ago, and we've gotten so much support, and we are super thankful to everyone that has pitched us a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. Some people have even gone above and beyond that, which is just incredible to us. And so we had to give a, a big hearty thank you to the following people: Junior C, Liz R, Lydia Del Rio, Emily, Nikki N, Grayson M, 
Annalie A. Marin B. Victoria S. JL Fields. Dear friend JL Fields. Jennifer B. <laughs> Courtney W. Alex R. Carla K. Hazel E. Susan G. Beth Ann P. Gillyfish. Sure. <laughs> Roseanne C. Stacy O. Garrick S. Catherine L. Liz Z. Jessica F. Rachel P. Patsy H. Wayne W. David V. Robin D. And Kayla. Hey, Kayla. <laughs> Kayla G, friend of the show. Friend of the show in real life. <laughs> thank you. Thank you to everyone that did that. Um, it, it sincerely is such a huge help to us, and it really does warm our, our bearded little hearts to know that people are willing to financially support us and uh, defray the costs of running the podcast and, and work towards our goals of making the, the podcast more accessible to others. So thank you to that. And also we got some emails from people saying, Hey, Patreon is not necessarily my jam because Patreon is sort of, you're making smaller recurring monthly payments. Uh, is there any way we could just donate like a one-time lump sum? And so we added a, the PayPal option. And so the first person to take advantage of that was Kevin W. So thank you, Kevin, and for, for your donation and also for all of your thoughtful engagement with the show over, over the years. Thank and you. if you want to support the podcast at whatever rate, you can go to thebeardvegans.com slash beardo. That's B-E-A-R-D-O. And you can choose what you want to do. And th- thank you very much for doing that. And, Paul, one of the, one of the uh, options is the mega beardo level where you get early access to episodes. And I think you and I were really hesitant on offering that because we're often very last-minute people. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, my God, that's such a commitment. <laughs> but we really nailed it. And this this last episode, we got out three days early on Patreon. So a whole you, three days. That's like a huge accomplishment for us. So, but if you're, ever, <laughs> if you're ever itching to hear some episodes early, uh, you can select that level. So, yeah, thank you again. And uh, let's move on into our main discussion. Paul, we're talking Veganuary. We're talking Veganuary. So, and not to be confused with February <laughs> <laughs> or Mar- March meat. Meaty March. Meaty March, Feb- yeah. Feb no dairy. I feel like both sides of this equation are not particularly good at <laughs> combining words. No, not yet at least. So, yeah, we're talking about Veganuary, and you might not be familiar with what Veganuary is. And if you're not, it's basically just a, a like a campaign that happens every January that encourages people to take a pledge to go vegan all throughout the month of January. So if you go to the website, which is just Veganuary.com, there's like a, there's a whole lot of links. And I want to talk about the website a little bit because I do think that it is a very well put together website. But the, there's a big button It says take the pledge and you click on it, you put in your name, your information, your email and stuff and it says we'll send you daily emails containing delicious recipes, meal plans and helpful tips such as where to get your nutrients and how to stock your cupboards and you'll be the first to hear about vegan news and exciting offers. And then under it, I thought it was kind of interesting. It has because you can still take the pledge it, it has today's date on it and under it, it says, when would you like your 31-day vegan pledge to start? And you can either click now or you can click, it's in all caps, it says, in seven days, give me time to finish my cheese. <laughs> so, I don't know. I thought that was kind of cute. It's very, very, you know, un- unjudgmental. But... You know, Paul, I have to say, you thought the website was really well put together. I think it would be interesting maybe next year if we both signed up for this pledge to see what the emails are and sort of the sequence of information that they send to people i thought as i was looking through the website there was a lot on there 
but it wasn't really clear like where to start because there's you know free vegan starter kit and you click on it and then there's just like a bunch of images you can click but the first one is accidentally vegan products and then dr gregor's daily dozen which is you know the the fruits and veggies that you should be eating and nuts and seeds and whatnot and there wasn't like a clear order there wasn't like a so you've gone vegan. So I guess maybe that's something you get access to if you do the email. But I, I wish that I'm sure there's a lot of people that are interested that don't actually sign up for the email or the pledge, but they're still looking for sort of resources. So I wish there was a little bit more of a start here and learn about this. And these are the whys. And now here are the hows. And here's your first grocery shopping list and, and all of those things. Like I was a little little uh disappointed that there wasn't something more of that nature on the website but there, there's a lot to there there's a lot there it just feels like someone has to make a lot of effort to explore it and make certain connections on their own i i, I get what you're saying it is definitely because i think one of the reasons why i like it so much is because of how much stuff they have on there on the website i do get what you're saying that it can be i, I can see it seeming overwhelming but at the same time I'm going to have faith that many people, most people, hopefully many people know how to kind of navigate the website, navigate a website in terms of what they want. So someone will click on the starter kit and they don't need to click on all 20 of the of the links that are there. They can choose like, oh, local vegan support, local vegan social groups. I'm going to click on that one or top 10 vegan myths. I'm going to click on that one. Like they'll only click on the ones that apply to them so it's almost like this website is providing more than they need to so that's that's kind of why i liked it i also liked that if you click on recipes it's categorized by like different different cuisines everything from thai and southeast asian to american to quick and easy to easter recipes to turkish and middle eastern vegan recipes so they have all different types of recipes and i i appreciated that as well and then there's other links for buying specific products. Like this uh, organization is based in the UK. So the like if you go to the supermarket section, it's only you can really only buy the products, I believe, if you are in the UK. So that's kind of a bummer. The, the, the supermarket section was actually the other thing that I was a little iffy on because I thought it was going to be like, here's here's your shopping list. Here's things you can buy in the supermarket. But it's a link to, was it Vegan Essentials? There's a place where you go yeah. and purchase things. It's like, these are all the things you need for Veganuary. And it's all these like expensive specialty products. So I feel like that also kind of sends a, a weird message. I guess. I guess. I don't know. I, I don't think know. I'm, I'm just a hypercritical jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, I'm more stoked on this website than Andy is. Uh, but yeah, the last thing to say about the website, there's like a, a few other tabs. But the Vegan Myths tab is nice. It has 43 of the most common responses you'll get about being vegan that people will say to you and how to respond to those. So I don't know. I was into this website, Andy. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely a lot of good information on there. It's just our job to be skeptical and it critical, is. Paul. You're right. You're uh, right. I will say something that I do love about this. All the information is free, unlike 22 Days Nutrition. So I think mm -hmm. that's a huge mm -hmm. bonus. Yeah. Yeah, we, we should hijack Beyonce's Instagram and just post them to veganuary.com. <laughs> All right. So, so Paul... So people mm -hmm. sign up for this pledge at any point in the year, but there's the biggest push for it. So people start on January 1st, sort of coincides with New Year's resolutions of some kind. Mm -hmm. 
And so we wanted to sort of discuss, is this effective? Was this successful? Is this a successful campaign? So uh, what, what indications do we have that this may be a successful campaign? So the main indication that we have is, is from Veganu- the Veganuary website itself. Uh, they post little news articles and blogs. And this article came out in f- at the end of February. And it is titled, A Record-Breaking Veganuary 2018. And it says, the campaign grew 183% this year with 168,542 people signing up to go vegan. So they talk a little bit about some of the data that they collected in in surveys that you got when you signed up for the pledge. And things like why you signed up and and the reason, the the, the biggest reason was 43% of people said for the animals, the next biggest 39% for health. And then they asked people, like, what was your diet before you were vegan? And it's 47% people said they were omnivores. So that's almost half of the people that signed up were eating meat before they did this. And half of 168,000 is still a decent amount of people. It's almost You're not going to hit us with some real math, Paul? It's about 85,000. Nice. And and, and 14% were pescatarian, so... Still, that's over half the people were eating meat. They're eating the bodies yeah, of yeah, animals. Yeah. So, and they, they did say that they did give a little disclaimer that said that some of the questions, some of the reporting, might be a little iffy. They said uh, it says our food frequency questionnaire indicated that some participants were incorrectly identifying as vegan. We'll be reporting on this in more detail when we process the post-veganuary survey results. Keep following as we'll be crunching the data from our survey results shortly and revealing how many of you lovely people are planning to stay vegan. So they're definitely going to release a little bit more info afterwards. And to me, that seems like it might indicate that more, less people were vegan before veganuary that signed up because right now it says 17 percent people were already vegan when they signed up but i feel like that little disclaimer makes it seem to me that it that number is actually lower which is good i think that means that more people were switching to a vegan diet it also means a lot of people are confused on what veganism actually is but (laughs) but hopefully not after but but if you know if they gave the questionnaire depending on i guess when they gave the questionnaire out hopefully they have a little bit a more uh, clear view of what veganism is after this. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So there was a ton of people signing up. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. And, and they have the, the thing that shows the growth of the signups since 2014, which is really promising. Yes. So it seems just from this, this little infographic that you can find, we'll post the link for it on this uh, article in 2014, which is when I believe it started, they only had 3,300 people. And then every year, they're basically growing exponentially. So it went from 3,000 to 13,000 to 23,000 to 60,000. And now it's at almost 170,000 people. So it, 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 it has more than doubled basically every single year. It's around doubled every single year, which is great. And if it, if it kept doubling, that would imply that it would be 300,000 people would try it next year, which would be uh, very good, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool to see how, how much they've been growing every single year. Yeah. And I think one of the big questions is how many people are still vegan now? Because it's great 
I, I mean, we can't downplay this many people not eating meat or, or any animal product for an entire month. But of course, we'd like to see people continuing to be vegan afterwards. Well, Paul, so I mean, at, at this point, we can only speculate on the effectiveness of the 2018 Veganuary because they have not released the numbers yet. But I think it'd be good for us to sort of talk about our general thoughts on Veganuary. And we've, we've talked about their website. We've talked about their messaging a little bit. Uh, I think I'm a fan of the messaging on the website. I think there was a strong focus on the animal rights aspect of it. And it wasn't mm-hmm. just, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of health focus there, but there, but it doesn't only focus on health. It's not only like you're going to feel good and lose weight. Like it also talks about the animals. It also talks about the environment a little bit. So, so I, I think overall I'm, I'm pretty down with their messaging. What did you feel? I have a feeling that, the people behind Veganuary probably are are mostly, for the most part, doing this for the animal reasons. And but looking at the percent of people, the reason for signing up, forty three percent for the animals, thirty nine percent for health. So they're getting a a very large amount of people signing up for health reasons specifically. So the fact that they do have you know like the health stuff sprinkled on the website, but like you said, the focus does seem to be it does push the animal, the animal ethics. I think that that's great because then someone that only wants to do it for the health reason or signs up for the health reason, isn't going to get in there and be like, Oh, this isn't really what I was looking for. They're going to go in there and be like, okay, this is what I was looking for. And then they're also getting hit with all this other information about animals, the animal ethics of it. And I think they're going to be more like, they're going to be more susceptible to being engaged in the, the animal message. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I guess one of the things that concerns me about Veganuary, much like the 22 Days Nutrition thing, is sort of this idea that there's kind of like a a timer, a time limit on going vegan. And I know that the messaging on Veganuary especially is, is hoping that people continue to go vegan. But I'm wondering if these things do sort of say like, yeah, veganism is just a thing you can do for a short period of time. And it's not like this lifetime commitment. And I know that if we sort of just say to people up front, this is a lifetime commitment, a lot of people would feel really scared. And, you know, I like to say like, hey, you can try it and see how you feel. So I so I get that. But in these things where they're kind of like a more official capacity of saying like January is the month where you go vegan. Do you think it sort of paints this idea that veganism is not a lifetime commitment? And is there like a problem with that? I think from the... Like just from poking around the website, like you said, Andy, I think I think it would be helpful. Maybe next year we'll take the pledge. We'll see what kind of emails that we're getting, because just from poking around the website and getting the general feel of it, I would not be surprised if you start getting emails towards the end of January or towards the end of your 30 day pledge that are kind of like, hey, like you should still continue to do this or encouraging people to continue. So I'm just speculating about that. But. I think that what they're doing is okay because I, I think it, it it's not – even though, yes, the thing itself is do this for 30 days, I feel like they're trying to extend it beyond that. And I think that they know that you can't say to someone, hey, will you take a pledge to be vegan for the rest of your life? They're not going to get 170,000 people to sign up if that's what they said. <laughs> yeah. So I think for that reason, it's it's okay. and And I also – I think I see this as different from the Beyonce thing because the Beyonce thing I think is is very much like 
we are getting fit for Coachella. You are doing this for 22 days because you're trying to get ready for something, whereas this is not <laughs> something. They're trying to impress Beyonce, Paul. <laughs> but but this is like Veganuary, I, I feel like Veganuary is not it's not you doing this for some tangible end goal necessarily. I think I think the the motivation for people to do this is um, maybe like I don't like the way that I'm eating right now and I want to I want to try to eat differently or it's like I don't like how my food choices are affecting animals. So I want to I want to choose differently. I feel like this and this is going to come up a little, in an article that I have a little bit later, but I feel like Veganuary taps into more intrinsic motivation than something like the the 22 day Beyonce challenge does. What do you mean by intrinsic motivation? So intrinsic motivation is like you are you're motivated to do things. You have internal motivation versus extrinsic motivation, which is talking about there's some there's some external goal. For instance, you might be motivated to get, you know, like a a nice beach bod. And and in 22 days, you're going to get this beach bod. I feel like that's more of an extrinsic motivation. So like an intrinsic motivation is the more powerful form of motivation. It's the more it's it's the form of motivation that's going to keep someone doing something long term. So, for instance, when I'm when I was teaching, when I was teaching math, if I could get someone to appreciate math and to to realize how great math is and and how powerful it is and how beautiful it is, they're going to be intrinsically motivated to want to learn math versus if I say, hey, if you get 100 on this test, I'll give you a piece of candy. That's an it, That would be an extrinsic form of motivation. It's almost like you've studied motivation before, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but when prompted to d- provide definitions of it, I definitely struggled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess... That that makes sense to me. I'm wondering if it's just something harmful with the timing of this. Like it's it's both taking advantage of the fact that this is a time when people, you know, the new year is starting. It's a fresh chance, a fresh shot at something, whatever it might be. And I can make this resolution, and I can I can do something in my life that's different than what I did before. It's you know, obviously people can make that do that at any point in the year, but there's just sort of this public atmosphere of where are you going to change in the new year? And so it's kind of harnessing that, which is probably pretty smart, but also it almost like lumps it in with new year's resolutions, which most people abandon. They're kind of notorious for, yeah, I did that for like five weeks and then I stopped. And do you think that there's a problem with that? I I feel you, Andy, but at the same time, I don't think that, most people that are making a New Year's resolution that's something like this or something else that's a big quote a big change maybe it's a it's a life a big lifestyle change I feel like most people aren't making those resolutions with with thinking in their mind this is not gonna like this is not gonna work out in in <laughs> a couple weeks or five days or something like that like yes people will make New Year's resolutions that are less serious stuff and and maybe hold themselves don't hold themselves as accountable like if someone was like i'm gonna give up drinking i'm gonna stop drinking and that's my new year's resolution i feel like people don't go into that sort of thing or most people wouldn't go into that sort of thing with the intent of being like i know that this isn't going to work out in five days even if it doesn't i think people don't go into it 
with that intention. So it's like, yes, you're right that many New Year's resolutions don't work out, but I don't think that I don't think that it cheapens the 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 the, the change itself. All right, all right, I'll buy that. <laughs> I'll buy that. So I was curious if people like obviously we know most resolutions don't come to fruition i found this website statisticbrain.com <laughs> and they they have this this whole wealth of data on new year's resolutions and you know who knows how accurate all this stuff really is but they talk about you know the number one reason the number one resolution most people make is lose weight or healthier eating which is 21.4% of the people that they surveyed and then they have the success rate and so percent of people in their 20s who achieve their resolution each year is 37.8% and percent of people over 50 who achieve their resolution each year is 16.3% uh nothing on the 30s and 40s apparently but <laughs> well well Andy read me some of the top resolutions that people make all right number 1 lose weight/healthier eating that's 21.4%. Number two, life slash self-improvements, which is 12.3%, which is almost like I feel like people would lump that in with the, the healthier eating thing. But uh, three, better financial decisions, 8.5%. Quit smoking, 7.1%. Do more exciting things, 6.3%. Spend more time with family and close friends, 6.2%. So... I think that even even the number one reason, which is I think would be maybe the the, the most closely tied to Veganuary, which is eating differently. I feel like all of those things that you read out are they're so vague and they don't necessarily have this kind of set plan that the Vegan the Veganuary website and the emails they provide you. So I think that even though like you pointed out, the statistics of people that stick with this kind of stuff are are relatively low. I think that the more that you have, the more specific you can be with your goal and the, the more of a plan that you have to achieve your goal, the more likely it's going to happen. It's easy to, to, to lose something that it's like you don't have a plan about it. It's easy to stop doing it. But with Veganuary, it's like you're getting these emails. I'm, I'm sure they're encouraging emails. You're getting these recipes. You're getting all this this support to do this thing. That's another thing that, that I think is another big reason why people probably lose their resolutions is that they don't have the support. So I feel like this is, this is different than a new year's resolution. Yeah. Well, I did find another article at businessinsider.com, which said 80% of new year's resolutions fail by February. Here's how to keep yours. And so, yeah, it talks about how 80% of people fail by the first week in February. The odds are against you. Um, but if you want your resolutions to stick, we recommend enrolling in an online course or two. Not only do they provide a great opportunity to pick up a new skill, they'll create a game plan for that lofty goal you want to accomplish. So so that backs up what you're saying, that sort of having some vague goal, I want to lose weight, I want to make better financial decisions, versus I want to go vegan and I have these emails coming in every day that are giving me more resources, it seems like that would be significantly more likely to, to make it stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another check in the Veganuary box. Yes, indeed. I think we're, it feels like we're heading towards this thing might be, might be effective, might be successful. So like we said in that first article that you were reading, Paul, they're they're still crunching the numbers off of these post veganuary surveys that they're sending out. 
So we don't really know about the 2018 Veganuary success. However, we have the retrospect of all of 2017 having passed us and the articles that Veganuary has put out, Plant-Based News has reported on it as well. So so we can do a little bit of digging and, and see how was it successful in previous years. So we have this article from plantbasednews.org, which was coming out on March 3rd of 2017. So this is... You know, a month after Veganuary had passed, and they talk about the data has been crunched. And actually, so that seems like this information should be coming out really soon if it comes out around the same time. Maybe we'll yeah. do a little follow-up in the next episode. But uh, it said that of the people they surveyed, and we'll talk about what that means in a second, 77% of them ate vegan food for all of January. So that's that's pretty good. That's a good amount of people that stuck with it. And it said that 67% of them said that they are staying vegan. And of that 67%, it breaks down to 59% of the meat eaters that did it, 64% of the pescatarians that did it, and 75% of the vegetarians that did it. So it seems like Veganuary is definitely a very effective tool for helping vegetarians make that final leap to veganism, which is pretty cool. I mean, even even 64% of pescatarians, 59% of meat eaters, that's more than half of both of those, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so here's where our little skeptic uh, <laughs> brains come in, where we're always skeptical. Uh, we're usually skeptical of the numbers <laughs> and of the surveys. And we talk about small sample sizes and the issues with self-reporting. And I think all of that comes into play here. So I think it is important for us to to put on those skeptical glasses and sort of examine these numbers. First off, I was curious how many people that participated actually responded to the surveys that they sent out. And so let's see, they had 59,500 people participate in 2017. So about 60,000 people. And the only there's a few articles I read that talked about the numbers. This is the only one that I found that actually talked about how many people responded. They included that information. I'd imagine they don't include this in a lot of their articles because it's kind of low. But it said that of these 60,000 people, 8,796 non-vegans prior to January, so people that weren't vegan going into Veganuary, completed the Veganuary 2017 participant survey. And that included 3,378 omnivores, 1,566 pescatarians, and nearly 4,000 vegetarians. They said that of the 60,000 people, about 10,000 were already identified as vegans, so they did not include them in their statistics, so they removed them. So 60,000 participants minus the 10,000 that said they were already vegans means that only 17% of the non-vegan participants actually completed the survey Mm -hmm. so i mean that's not that's not horrible but it does make me wonder are the people that are going to fill out that survey are they going to be the ones that are sort of most likely to produce favorable responses like i'd imagine if someone signed up for veganuary and they're gung-ho and then they stopped a week in they're probably not going to be super stoked to let the people know that they did not complete the challenge and they're just going to ignore the emails do you feel like that would be a fair assessment i i do think that's a fair assessment i i don't think i don't think we can say everyone that did not complete the survey is no longer vegan i definitely don't think we can say that but i would not be surprised if 
the majority of people, if more than half of the people that did not complete the survey, uh, like we're not, we're no longer vegan. I will say, however, Andy, that 8,796 non-vegans completed the survey. That's what you had told me. Mm-hmm. And 67% of people completing the survey are staying vegan. That is 5,893 people, which is a lot of people to be turned vegan in one month, I think. Yeah. I I cannot disagree with you whatsoever, Paul. And that's and that's only the people that that completed the survey. And those are the people that are saying they're staying vegan. So I think out of the remaining about 41,000 people who did not complete the survey that were not already vegan, I think that out of 41,000 people, it's a fair assessment to say that some of those people also are still vegan now. Yeah. So I think for a campaign that, you know, is just one month out of the year, if they got about almost 6,000 people to stay vegan, I think that's pretty darn good. Yeah, I, I guess I'd be curious to know exactly how much funding they've received. I know a lot of it is, as far as I know, just kind of sort of coming from donations from individual people and perhaps some businesses. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, a lot of us don't make 5,000 vegans in our lifetime. So I think that... <laughs> Especially if we transpose these over into 2018, where there's almost three times as many participants, and you're like, okay, is this is that potentially 15,000 new vegans yeah. in the world? And if you know, obviously not everyone's going to stick with it, and some people are not going to be the vegan activist that's trying to make other people vegan. But even if a percentage of those people then influence others to go vegan, I think the ripple effect of Veganuary is something that I could definitely get behind. Yes. And I think it's also important to keep in mind, as with all things, you know, I don't necessarily believe Veganuary is going to be the thing that turns the entire world vegan. So this is just one thing in the midst of all of everything else that's also going on in the vegan world. And I think that everything else that's also going on in the vegan world is a big reason why Veganuary keeps growing in itself. But I think it's almost like everything all these other factors help Veganuary to get more participants. And then the more participants that they get, the more vegans they pump out, which will then affect the other things. So it's kind of like this, you know, this cycle that I think it's all these different tactics helping out each other. I'm Andy. I am behind Veganuary. <laughs> you know, it's not often that the, the beard vegans give a stamp of approval to anything. <laughs> but, Paul, you're giving that that wholehearted stamp of approval. I, I think I am. I mean, I obviously I don't know like 100% of all the ins and outs, but from, from what I'm seeing, it seems like a successful campaign that has been growing for the last one, two, three, four, five years and will, will hopefully continue to grow. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I would, I would guess that the success of, of like what the health probably had a huge impact on the amount of people that decide to sign up this year. But I'd be curious to if there was some other if if when they release the surveys if they'll if they'll talk about what factors led people to wanting to do Veganuary like obviously they they talk about health environment etc. But I wonder if there'd be like a more specific did you see a documentary did you read an article did you follow a certain you know vegan social media figure or vegan celebrity or something like that I'd be really curious to know it seems like this could be a real wealth of information yeah I was I was actually going to say. In the on the vegan your website, there's actually like the why section, and if you if you click on the why section, 
it says there's like animals, health, environment, and nutrition. And then for each of those, you can then click on those. And for instance, for animals, it has 98 news articles, 21 recommended books, five videos. And I think it does recommend earthlings and speciesism and some something with Stevo in it and a couple other things. But <laughs> but so I I don't remember what my point was, but I'm sure that the uh, I'm sure that under the health section what the health is probably listed there too. Yeah. I mean, but that's more people being pointed towards it versus coming to be January because of it. Is what ah, I, was, I see what you're it, saying. Is what I was getting at. Um, I'm picking up what you put down. So they did these surveys, right? And this information was released in March and presumably done shortly after January ended. And it seems likely that a lot of people that do it at that point, are like if they were successful they're probably saying you know what? i'm gonna stick with this i feel good about this but what about several months after that what about like out until september like do you think that people have, have continued to stick with it and then we found another article at plantbasednews.org which came out september 1st of 2017 and it said success majority <laughs> of veganuary participants are still vegan and it says the vast majority of people who tried veganism for January have stayed vegan. Charity Veganuary has announced. And it claims 66% of all respondents have remained vegan. Now, this does not include the amount of respondents. So we don't know if it's that same almost 9,000 people that responded before or if it's just like 100 people that responded and 66 of them said that they're going to stay vegan. <laughs> so, and I, I was digging around, I could not find that information. So who knows, but let's assume it's a similar sample size. I, I don't know if I would qualify 66% as the quote vast majority necessarily, but it is the majority. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Something else that was really encouraging was that this article said that in the survey, more than half of the respondents said they motivated someone else to go vegan this year. So there's that ripple effect that we were talking about. And yeah, again, I think all this points to me thinking I'm glad that Veganuary exists. And, you know, maybe I think there's some tweaks in their messaging and, and whatnot that I would that I would employ. But I think that overall, it seems like it's a really effective tool. Yeah, like I wonder again, this is something that we should we should sign up for next year. I wonder kind of the supports that they give post January. Like if they're still sending you regular emails, if they're still giving you tips, if they're checking in on you somehow or they're a, a nice thing if if they could like connect you with other people that were doing it because I, I mean, I think that it's not necessarily a flaw of veganuary that people that there are people that drop off like i think that it's it's you, they're not going to get every single person to stay vegan i think that again you don't we don't know what the sample size is but they're claiming 66 percent have remained vegan and i think that that's pretty good I, I mean i think there's always things that they could be doing there's more things that they could be doing like providing continual support but they only have so many resources they can only there are only so many people they can only do so much so i don't think it's necessarily their fault if people drop off or i should rather say i don't think it's indicative of a flaw in the organization itself that they have people that drop off from it yeah and in this survey they actually asked people reasons why they did not continue to stay vegan and one of the biggest reasons was that 
people said that restaurants weren't catering to vegans as much as they should have. So to me that that sort of is lumped in with the sort of the social aspects of going vegan. Like it, it sucks to go out to a restaurant with all your friends who aren't vegan and you can only eat a salad and some like a side of fries or something like that. And, and so I think that to me, that sort of harkens back to all of our conversations about the, the pros and cons of more accessibility of vegan food and, yeah, the Beyond Burger being at TGI Fridays isn't going to make the world go vegan, but it certainly is going to make it easier for people to stay vegan, especially those that don't live in particularly vegan-friendly areas or don't have a lot of vegan friends that you know that are going to want to go out of their way to go to the most vegan-friendly restaurant in town. So I, I think that overall, this whole conversation just points to diversity of tactics and all these different pieces of the puzzle that need to be in place for any one thing to work like for veganuary to work we need to have a lot of vegan markets out there or we need to have a lot of vegan products available to people but we also need the activists there doing the work to educate people about you know how horrible animal use is and you know we like we need all of these things and veganuary would not be a success if it was the only form of advocacy that was out there and actually i wonder if because this article that you're reading is from the 2017 results. So this was written in September of last year. And I wonder if them finding out that most people haven't stuck to veganism due to restaurants has prompted them because I haven't mentioned this yet, but there is another section on their website that just has, it lists like very popular restaurants and it kind of gives them stars between either zero or one star and then five stars, five stars being the most vegan friendly. And then you can click on them and then it'll kind of tell you what you can get as a vegan in there. So I wonder if that whole section of the website was in response to this survey answer, people saying, oh, it's it's difficult to eat out at restaurants. So in response, they were like, hey, here's a guide on how to eat out at non-vegan restaurants, which would be cool if that's what they did. Yeah, and that is a great resource. And I know you mentioned that they're UK based. I don't I don't know if we mentioned that on the website there's like three flags up at the top and you can pick your location and so you can click the US flag and that'll give you restaurants in the US. It'll give you accidentally vegan products that you'll find in the US as well. So I like that they they have various options and they can cater it to specific locales and maybe in the future they'll expand it to even more countries to make it so that it reaches even further. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and uh, they they made a prediction in this 2017 article about how many people they expect to participate. And they said they expected 150,000 people to take part in 2018. And Paul, pretty accurate, pretty accurate. Yeah, 100, almost 170, which is like, usually, you know, when people are like, oh, we're, next year we're going to be even bigger and bigger. We're going we're gonna to get this many people. Usually, I feel like most most times that doesn't come to fruition. But this time, yeah, they actually exceeded their guess by almost 20,000 people, which is awesome. So I'm excited to hear what their guess is next year. T- yeah. 12 million people. <laughs> All right, Paul. So something that is on my mind now is, well, if this is such a success... Could this be replicated for other months? Is there any other month where this would be possible? Is there a vegan November? Or I don't know. I can't. I'm not even going to try and jam vegan into yeah. You know, v v June or so, like whatever it is. <laughs> like, is this something that could be replicated more than once a year? Do you think? I don't know. I I've, I feel like it would be very easy to oversaturate the market with vegan months and 
then it, it becomes something that no one does just because it's like, oh, this is something happening all the time versus I think it, it feels it feels more important to people when they have I feel like one month is a good amount of time because it is not too daunting. It's like, oh, I'm only going to have to do this thing for one month. I can do that. And then hopefully they'll keep doing it. But it's not too daunting. But at the same time, it's not I, I think it's in some ways it's better than, say, Meatless Monday because that's that doesn't force people to change their their lifestyle that much they they can they can make a very small change once a day but then the other days they go back versus this is forcing you to to make a sustained change and therefore i think it's easier to to continue afterwards but i think that just having it in january i think that that is okay and the reason i think that's okay is because it's like we have so many other tactics we have so many other avenues for promoting advocacy i don't think we need even though i think that this one is super duper effective in my opinion i wouldn't want to lessen that impact that it has by oversaturating oversaturating it so i think that my answer would be no i don't think that we should include this in other months i think that there are different things that we can do to promote veganism at other times and in january we can go go hard on veganuary all right fair enough <laughs> and and i will include this link we're, we're not going to really talk about it right now but i will include this link that i looked at this article that i was looking at while i was thinking about this idea that's an article from mashable.com that's titled here's why charity campaigns like the ice bucket challenge go viral and it just talks about like the ice bucket challenge, some of these like awareness campaigns or these other big social media charities that go viral, like Movember, which is where you grow a mustache in November. But it, it, it does, it, it talks about how like in order for the, one of the things it mentions is that in order for, for these things to be successful and to be, to sustain their success, one, they can't, the thing that the ice bucket challenge failed from is that it was it was almost too popular right off the bat and then like the next time it, it came around or the next time it came around for them to for that organization to come up with something else they couldn't really match it so that's one thing that uh, one of like the drawbacks that happens when you're too successful right from the get-go which i don't think veganuary was veganuary was not very <laughs> successful at the beginning but they've stuck with it and they've grown exponentially so i think that that's good and then the other thing the other thing that they talk about one of the other things that they talk about which is what i was kind of saying is that it it does I'll just read this quote. It says the key to a viral campaign that sustains its momentum is giving people incentive to keep supporting the cause on their own, independent of an annual event. That means creating a window big enough to internalize a new norm or behavior. Then organizations need to give their new supporters feedback, demonstrating how their contributions made a difference. So I do absolutely think that that's what Veganuary does. It gives that window big enough, which is maybe a critique of something like Meatless Mondays, where it, the window is not big enough to normalize the behavior. And then assuming that Veganuary keeps in contact with them, or maybe if they don't, maybe that's something that they can do is kind of keep the support up and let people know that you're continuing to make a difference by supporting this thing, even though it's not January. 
Very cool. Very cool. So I think that's all that we want to say about Veganuary, Andy. I am the very supportive of this. Vegan you cited about it. <laughs> I'm vegan you very excited about it. There we go. There it is. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, I would love to hear what our, our wonderful listeners out there think about Veganuary. I think I felt like I was kind of skeptical going in, but after doing all this research and looking at the numbers, I think I'm on board. I think I'm on board with you, Paul. And also, I think if anyone out there has something else that they found, I guess similar to Veganuary but not like the kind of Beyonce, the whole, like, I, I don't really want to find more of these things that are just like, you'll lose so much weight in 22 days going on a vegan diet. I'm not really looking for those, but more of the, like, from the animal ethics side of things, these sort of one month challenges or, or any other sort of these challenges that promote veganism. If we haven't uh, already seen them, it'd be cool if you let us know if you know about them. Yeah, and I would actually love to hear from anyone. Do we have any listeners out there who went vegan for Veganuary and have stuck with it? I think I'd be most curious to hear about your experience of interacting with Veganuary. So please send us an email to thebeardedvegans <laughs> at gmail.com. Yeah. And I want to hear about people that blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, Andy, what do you got coming up? Oh, March 25th, I'll be at Vegan Street Fair in Los Angeles. And then I'll be trekking it real quick to the Indie Veg Fest on March 31st. That's in Indianapolis, Indiana. April 7th, I'll be at the Nashville Veg Fest in Nashville, Tennessee. April 14th, Wilmington Veg Fest, Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, April 29th, the VegFest Michigan in Novi, Michigan. And I got plenty more dates all the way out through October at this point. And you can find all the dates, deets, and links to those at CompassionCo.com. And at any of those events I just mentioned, just come find the Compassion Company tables where I'll be selling my vegan shirts. And come say, what's up, Beardo? And we'll give you a button and a sticker. And we'll chat if uh, the crowd is is, <laughs> is uh, not too overwhelming. I always love saying hi to everyone. And yeah, definitely, definitely hope to see some people out now that we're about to kick back into VegFest season. Heck yeah. And, and I'll be there eventually at some point. You know, Paul, when I was doing the research for this episode and I was trying to find other campaigns and hashtags and, and you know, we mentioned Feb, Feb Dairy and Feb No Dairy and Feb Brutal Dairy and we, <laughs> we didn't talk about it on this show, but there is a, a meaty march and all, all of these things that I feel like there's could be, there's probably a meatless march. Someone has to be doing that as well, which yeah. just sounds like someone marching down the street with no meat <laughs> but uh <laughs> but I, I came across this one that is so awkward it's so it does not roll off the tongue but it's this weird hashtag it's starting to actually take a hold though yeah. so i don't know it's just really weird but um it's the following hashtag <laughs> hashtag vegan we are the bearded vegans signing off annuary <laughs> Andy, I'm very excited to talk about it as well. <laughs> God, all right, let's uh, let's let's do this over. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it yeah.
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do a baby driver style remix of you saying that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's definitely definitely coming in it it stopped but it was like <laughs> i'm sorry andy what was that like <laughs> <laughs> you're just doing that for the bloopers paul yep <laughs> everything from thai and southeast asian to to i clicked out of it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hold on, I gotta look something up real quick. Okay. <laughs> How many people don't complete New Year's resolutions? That is exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> Everything needs to bleed, <laughs> or else I won't eat it anymore. <laughs> Broccoli must bleed.